Section 38 of The Natural History, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The Natural History, Volume 4 by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Chapter 74 dill nine remedies dill acts also as a carminative allays gripings of the stomach and arrests looseness of the bowels the roots of this plant are applied topically in water or else in wine for defluxions of the eyes the seed of it if smelt at while boiling will arrest hiccup and taken in water it dispels indigestion the ashes of it are a remedy for swellings of the uvula but the plant itself weakens the eyesight and generative powers. Chapter 75 Sacopenium or Sagopenon 13 Remedies The Sacopenium which grows in Italy is totally different from that which comes from beyond sea. This last, in fact, is similar to gum ammoniac and is known as Sagopenon. Sacopenium is good for pain of the sides and chest, for convulsions, coughs of long standing, expectorations, and swellings of the thoracic organs. It is a cure also for vertigo, palsy, opistotony, affections of the spleen and loins, and for shivering fits. For suffocations of the uterus, this plant is given in vinegar to smell at, in addition to which it is sometimes administered in drink, or employed as a friction with oil. It is a good antidote also for medicaments of a noxious nature. Chapter 76 The White Poppy, Three Remedies The Black Poppy, Eight Remedies Remarks on Sleep, Opium Remarks in Disfavor of the Potions known as Anodynes, Febrifuges, Digestives, and Celiacs In what way the juices of these plants are to be collected? We have already stated that there are three varieties of the cultivated poppy, and on the same occasion we promised to describe the wild kinds. With reference to the cultivated varieties, the calyx of the white poppy is pounded and is taken in wine as a soporific. The seed of it is a cure also for elephantiasis. The black poppy acts as a soporific by the juice which exudes from incisions made in the stalk at the time when the plant is beginning to flower. Diogorus says, But when the blossom has gone off, according to Iolus, this is done at the third hour in a clear still day, or, in other words, when the dew has thoroughly dried upon the poppy. It is recommended to make the incision just beneath the head and calyx of the plant, this being the only kind, in fact, into the head of which the incision is made. This juice, like that of any other plant, is received in wool, or else, if it is in very minute quantities, it is scraped off with a thumbnail, just as it is from the lettuce, and so again on the following day, with the portion that has since dried there. If obtained from the poppy in sufficiently large quantities, this juice thickens, after which it is kneaded out into lozenges and dried in the shade. This juice is possessed not only of certain soporific qualities, but if taken in too large quantities, 
is productive of sleep unto death even. The name given to it is opium. It was in this way we learn that the father of P. Licinius Caecina, a man of praetorian rank, put an end to his life at Babylon in Spain, an incurable malady having rendered existence quite intolerable to him. Many other persons, too, have ended their lives in a similar way. It is for this reason that opium has been so strongly exclaimed against by Diogorus and Erasistratus, for they altogether condemned it as a deadly poison, forbidding it to be used for infusions, even as being injurious to the sight. Andreas says, in addition to this, that the only reason why it does not cause instantaneous blindness is the fact that they adulterate it at Alexandria. In later times, however, the use of it has not been disapproved of. Witness the celebrated preparation known as diacodion. Lozenges are also made of ground poppy seed, which are taken in milk as a soporific. The seed is employed, too, with rose oil for headache, and in combination with that oil is injected into the ears for earache. Mixed with woman's milk, this seed is used as a liniment for gout. The leaves, too, are employed in a similar manner. Taken in vinegar, the seed is prescribed as a cure for erysipelas and wounds. For my own part, however, I do not approve of opium entering into the composition of eye salves, and still less of the preparations from it known as febrifuges, digestives, and celiacs. The black poppy, however, is very generally prescribed in wine for celiac affections. All the cultivated poppies are larger than the others, and the form of the head is round. In the wild poppy, the head is elongated and small, but it is possessed of more active properties than the others in every respect. This head is often boiled, and the decoction of it taken to promote sleep, the face being fomented also with the water. The best poppies are grown in dry localities, and where it seldom rains. When the heads and leaves of the poppy are boiled together, the name given to the decoction is meconium. It is much less powerful, however, in its effects than opium. The principal test of the purity of opium is the smell, which, when genuine, is so penetrating as to be quite insupportable. The next best test is that obtained by lighting it at a lamp, upon which it ought to burn with a clear, brilliant flame, and to give out a strong odour when extinguished, a thing that never happens when opium has been drugged, for in such case it lights with the greatest difficulty, and the flame repeatedly goes out. There is another way of testing its genuineness by water, for if it is pure, it will float like a thin cloud upon the surface, but if adulterated, it will unite in the form of blisters on the water. But the most surprising thing of all is the fact that the sun's heat in summer furnishes a test, for if the drug is pure, it will sweat and gradually melt till it has all the appearance of the juice when fresh gathered. Menesides is of opinion that the best way of preserving opium is to mix henbane seed with it. Others again recommend that it should be kept with beans. Chapter 77 The Poppy Called Reus Two Remedies The poppy which we have spoken of under the names of Reus 
and the erratic poppy forms an intermediate variety between the cultivated and the wild poppy for it grows in the fields it is true but it is self-set nevertheless some persons eat it calyx and all immediately after it is gathered this plant is an extremely powerful purgative five heads of it boiled in three semi-sextory of wine and taken in drink have the effect of producing sleep chapter seventy eight the wild poppy called serotitis glaucum or paralium six remedies there is one variety of wild poppy known as serotitis it is of a black color a cubit in height and has a thick root covered with bark with a head resembling a small bud bent and pointed at the end like a horn the leaves of this plant are smaller and thinner than those of the other wild poppies and the seed which is very diminutive is ripe at harvest taken with honeyed wine in doses of half an acetabulum the seed acts as a purgative the leaves beaten up in oil are a cure for the white specks which form on the eyes of beasts of burden the root boiled down to one half in doses of one acetabulum to two sextori of water is prescribed for maladies of the loins and liver and the leaves employed with honey are a cure for carbuncles some persons give this kind of poppy the name of glossium and others of paralium for it grows in fact in spots exposed to exhalations from the sea or else in soils of a nitrous nature chapter seventy nine the wild poppy called heraclium or aphron four remedies diacodion there is another kind of wild poppy known as heraclion by some persons and as aphron by others the leaves of it when seen from a distance have all the appearance of sparrows the root lies on the surface of the ground and the seed has exactly the colour of foam this plant is used for the purpose of bleaching linen cloths in summer it is bruised in a mortar for epilepsy being given in white wine in doses of one acetabulum and acting as an emetic this plant is extremely useful also for the composition of the medicament known as diacodion and arteriasi this preparation is made with one hundred and twenty heads of this or any other kind of wild poppy steeped for two days in three sextori of rainwater after which they are boiled in it you must then dry the heads which done boil them down with honey to one half at a slow heat more recently there have been added to the mixture six drachmae of saffron hypocystis frankincense and gum acacia with one sextarius of raisin wine of crete all this however is only so much ostentation for the virtue of this simple and ancient preparation depends solely upon the poppy and the honey chapter eighty the poppy called thithimalon or paralion three remedies there is a third kind again called thithimalon some persons give it the name of mekon others of paralion it has a white leaf resembling that of flax and a head the size of a bean it is gathered when the wine is in blossom and dried in the shade the seed taken in drink purges the bowels the dose being half an acetabulum in honeyed wine the head of every species of poppy whether green or dry used as a fomentation assuages defluxions of the eyes 
opium if taken in pure wine immediately after the sting of a scorpion prevents any dangerous results some persons however attribute this virtue to the black poppy only the head or leaves being beaten up for the purpose chapter eighty one porcelaca or purslane otherwise called peplus twenty five remedies there is a wild purslane too called peplus not much superior in its virtues to the cultivated kind of which such remarkable properties are mentioned it neutralizes the effects it is said of poison arrows and the venom of the serpents known as hemorrhoids and prester taken with the food and applied to the wound it extracts the poison the juice too they say taken in raisin wine is an antidote for henben when the plant itself cannot be procured the seed of it is found to be equally efficacious it is a corrective also of impurities in water and beaten up in wine and applied topically it is a cure for headaches and ulcers of the head chewed in combination with honey it is a curative of the other kinds of sores it is similarly applied to the region of the brain in infants and in cases of umbilical hernia as also for defluxions of the eyes in persons of all ages being applied to the forehead and temples with polenta if employed as a liniment for the eyes milk and honey are added and when used for proptosis of the eyes the leaves are beaten up with bean shells in combination with polenta salt and vinegar it is employed as a fomentation for blisters chewed raw purslane reduces ulcerations of the mouth and gum boils and cures toothache a decoction of it is good too for ulcers of the tonsils some persons have added a little myrrh to it when so employed chewed it strengthens such teeth as may happen to be loose dispels crudities imparts additional strength to the voice and allays thirst used with nutgalls linseed and honey in equal proportions it assuages pains in the neck and combined with honey or simoleon chalk it is good for disease of the mammalae the seed of it taken with honey is beneficial for asthma eaten in salads this plant is very strengthening to the stomach in burning fevers applications of it are made with polenta in addition to which if chewed it will cool and refresh the intestines it arrests vomiting also and for dysentery and abscesses it is eaten with vinegar or else taken with cumin in drink boiled it is good for tenismus taken either in the food or drink it is good for epilepsy and taken in doses of one acetabulum in boiled wine it promotes the menstrual discharge employed also as a liniment with salt it is used as a remedy for fits of hot gout and eri sipilas the juice of this plant taken in drink strengthens the kidneys and bladder and expels intestinal worms in conjunction with oil it is applied with polenta to assuage the pain of wounds and it softens indurations of the sinews metrodorus who wrote an abridgment of botany says that it should be given after delivery to accelerate the lochial discharge it is also an antiphrodisiac and prevents the recurrence of lascivious dreams one of the principal personages of spain whose son had been praetor is in the habit of carrying the root of it to my knowledge suspended by a string from his neck except when he is taking the bath for an incurable affection of the uvula 
a precaution by which he has been spared all inconvenience. I have found it stated, too, in some authors, that if the head is rubbed with liniment of this plant, there will be no defluxions perceptible the whole year through. It is generally thought, however, that purslane weakens the sight. Chapter 82 Coriander, 21 Remedies There is no wild coriander to be found. The best, it is generally agreed, is that of Egypt. Taken in drink and applied to the wound, it is a remedy for the sting of one kind of serpent, known as the amphisbena. Pounded, it is healing also for other wounds, as well as for epineitis and blisters. Employed in the same state with honey or raisins, it disperses all tumours and gatherings, and, beaten up in vinegar, it removes abscesses of an inflammatory nature. Some persons recommend three grains of it to be taken for tertian fevers, just before the fit comes on, or else in larger quantities, to be bruised and applied to the forehead. There are others, again, who think that it is attended with excellent results, to put coriander under the pillow before sunrise. While green, it is possessed of very cooling and refreshing properties. Combined with honey or raisins, it is an excellent remedy for spreading ulcers, as also for disease of the testes, burns, carbuncles, and maladies of the ears. Applied with woman's milk, it is good for defluxions of the eyes, and for fluxes of the belly and intestines, the seed is taken with water in drink. It is also taken in drink for cholera with rue. Coriander seed, used as a potion with pomegranate juice and oil, expels worms in the intestines. Xenocrates states a very marvellous fact, if true. He says that if a woman takes one grain of this seed, the menstrual discharge will be retarded one day, if two grains, two days, and so on, according to the number of grains taken. Marcus Varro is of opinion that if coriander is lightly pounded and sprinkled over it with cumin and vinegar, all kinds of meat may be kept in summer without spoiling. Chapter 83 Orage 14 Remedies Orage, again, is found both wild and cultivated. Pythagoras has accused this plant of producing dropsy, jaundice, and paleness of the complexion, and he says that it is extremely difficult of digestion. He asserts also to its disparagement that everything that grows near it in the garden is sure to be drooping and languid. Diocles and Dionysius have added a statement that it gives birth to numerous diseases, and that it should never be boiled without changing the water repeatedly. They say, too, that it is prejudicial to the stomach, and that it is productive of freckles and pimples on the skin. I am at a loss to imagine why Solo of Smyrna has stated that this plant is cultivated in Italy with the greatest difficulty. Hippocrates prescribes it with beet as a pessary for affections of the uterus, and Laius of Neapolis recommends it to be taken in drink in cases of poisoning by cantharides. He is of opinion also that either raw or boiled, it may be advantageously employed as a liniment for inflammatory swellings, incipient boils, and all kinds of indurations, and that, mixed with oxymel and nitre, it is good for erysipelas and gout. This plant, it is said, will bring away malformed nails without producing sores. There are some persons who give orage seed with honey for jaundice, and rub the throat and tonsils with it, nitre being added as well.
They employ it also to purge the bowels, and use the seed boiled as an emetic, either taken by itself or in conjunction with mallows or lentils. Wild orage is used for dyeing the hair, as well as the other purposes above enumerated. Chapter 84. The mallow called malapi, 13 remedies. The mallow called malachi, 1 remedy. The mallow called altlea or plistolochia, 59 remedies. Both kinds of mallows, on the other hand, the cultivated and the wild, are held in very general esteem. These kinds are subdivided, each of them into two varieties, according to the size of the leaf. The cultivated mallow with large leaves is known to the Greeks by the name of malapi, the other being called malachi. From the circumstance, it is generally thought that it relaxes the bowels. The wild mallow, again with large leaves and white roots, is called alphlea, and by some persons on account of its salutary properties, plistolochia. Every soil in which mallows are sown is rendered all the richer thereby. This plant is possessed of remarkable virtues, as a cure for all kinds of stings, those of scorpions, wasps, and similar insects, as well as the bite of the shrew-mouse, more particularly. Nay, what is even more than this, if a person has been rubbed with oil, in which any one of the mallows has been beaten up, or even if he carries them on his persons, he will never be stung. A leaf of mallow put upon a scorpion will strike it with torpor. The mallow is an antidote also against the poisonous effects of white lead, and applied raw with saltpetre, it extracts all kinds of pointed bodies from the flesh. A decoction of it with the root taken in drink neutralizes the poison of the sea hare, provided, as some say, it is brought off the stomach by vomiting. Other marvels are also related in connection with the mallow, but the most surprising thing of all is that if a person takes half a cyathus of the juice of any one of them daily, he will be exempt from all diseases. Left to putrefy in wine, mallows are remedial for running sores of the head and mixed with honey for lichens and ulcerations of the mouth. A decoction of the root, too, is a remedy for dandruff of the head and looseness of the teeth. With the root of the mallow, which has a single stem, it is a good plan to prick the parts about a root when it aches until the pain has ceased. With the addition of human saliva, the mallow cleanses scrofulous sores, impostumes of the parotid glands, and inflammatory tumours without producing a wound. The seed of it, taken in red wine, disperses phlegm and relieves nausea, and the root attached to the person with black wool is a remedy for affections of the mammalae. Boiled in milk and taken as a pottage, it cures a cough within five days. Sextius Niger says that mallows are prejudicial to the stomach, and Olympias, the Theban authoress, asserts that employed with goose grease, they are productive of abortion. Some persons are of opinion that a good handful of the leaves taken in oil and wine promotes the menstrual discharge. At all events, it is a well-known fact that if the leaves are strewed beneath a woman in labour, the delivery will be accelerated, but they must be taken away immediately after birth, or prolapsus of the uterus will be the consequence. Mallow juice also is given to women in labour, a decoction of it being taken fasting in wine in doses of one hemina. Mallow seed is attached to the arms of patients suffering from spermatoria, 
and so naturally adapted is this plant for the promotion of lustfulness that the seed of the kind with a single stem sprinkled upon the genitals will increase the sexual desire in males to an infinite degree according to xenocratus who says too that if three roots are attached to the person in the vicinity of those parts they will be productive of a similar result the same writer informs us also that injections of mallows are good for tenismus and dysentery and for maladies of the rectum even if used as a fomentation only the juice is given warm to patients afflicted with melancholy in doses of three syaphi and to insane persons in doses of four one hemina of the decoction is prescribed also for epilepsy a warm decoction of the juice is employed too as a fomentation for calculus flatulency gripings of the stomach and opistothony the leaves are boiled and applied with oil as a poultice for erysipelas and burns and raw with bread to arrest inflammation in wounds a decoction of mallows is beneficial for affections of the sinews and bladder and for gnawing pains of the intestines taken to as an aliment or an injection they are relaxing to the uterus and the decoction taken with oil facilitates the passage of the urine the root of the althalia is even more efficacious for all the purposes above enumerated and for convulsions and ruptures more particularly boiled in water it arrests looseness of the bowels and taken in white wine it is a cure for scrofulous sores imposthumes of the parotid glands and inflammations of the mammillae a decoction of the leaves in wine applied as a liniment disperses inflammatory tumours and the leaves first dried and then boiled in milk are a speedy cure for a cough however inveterate hippocrates prescribes a decoction of the root to be drunk by persons wounded or thirsty from loss of blood and the plant itself as an application to wounds with honey and resin he also recommends it to be employed in a similar manner for contusions sprains and tumours of the muscles sinews and joints and prescribes it to be taken in wine for asthma and dysentery it is a singular thing that water in which this root has been put thickens when exposed in the open air and congeals like ice the more recently however it has been taken up the greater are the virtues of the root chapter eighty five while lapithum or oxalis otherwise called lapithum cantharium or rumex one remedy hydrolapithum two remedies hippolapithum six remedies oxylapithum four remedies lapithum too has pretty nearly the same properties there is a wild variety known to some as oxalis very similar in taste to the cultivated kind with pointed leaves a colour like that of white beet and an extremely diminutive root our people call it rumex while others again give it the name of lapithum cantharium mixed with axle grease this plant is very efficacious for scrofulous sores there is another kind again hardly forming a distinct variety known as oxylapithon which resembles the cultivated kind even more than the last though the leaves are more pointed and redder it grows only in marshy spots some authors are found who speak of a hydrolapithon which grows in the water they say there is also another variety known as hippolapithon 
larger than the cultivated kind, whiter and more compact. The wild varieties of the lapathon are a cure for the stings of scorpions, and protect those who carry the plant on their person from being stung. A decoction of the root in vinegar employed as a gargle is beneficial to the teeth, and if drunk is a cure for jaundice. The seed is curative of the most obstinate maladies of the stomach. The root of hippolapathum, in particular, has the property of bringing off malformed nails, and the seed taken in wine in doses of two drachmae is a cure for dysentery. The seed of oxylapathum, washed in rainwater, with the addition of a piece of gum acacia, about the size of a lentil, is good for patients troubled with spitting of blood. Most excellent lozenges are made of the leaves and root of this plant, with the addition of nitre and a little incense. When wanted for use, they are first steeped in vinegar. Chapter 86. Cultivated Lapathum. 21 Remedies. Beulah Lapathum. 1 Remedy. As to Garden Lapathum, it is good in liniments on the forehead for defluxions of the eyes. The root of it cures lichens and leprous sores, and a decoction of it in wine is remedial for scrofulous swellings. Impostumes of the parotid glands and calculus of the bladder. Taken in wine, it is a cure for affections of the spleen, and employed as a fomentation, it is equally good for celiac affections, dysentery, and tenismus. For all these purposes, the juice of lapathum is found to be even still more efficacious. It acts as a carminative and diuretic, and dispels films on the eyes. Put into the bath, or else rubbed upon the body without oil, before taking the bath, it effectually removes all itching sensations. The root of it, chewed, strengthens the teeth, and a decoction of it in wine arrests looseness of the stomach. The leaves, on the other hand, relax it. Not to omit any particulars, Solo has added to the above varieties a Beulah pathon, which differs only from the others in the length of the root. This root, taken in wine, is very beneficial for dysentery. End of section 38. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama.